All right, welcome to episode four of the Purple and Bold podcast, our podcast here at the Daily News Tracker dedicated to discussing James Madison athletics. Joining me today, as always, are, JMU, are our JMU beat writers, Shane Metlin and Noah Fleischman. Um, gentlemen, it's been an interesting day already. Uh, let's start with some of the comments um, at the O'Neill's Fan and Press Luncheon um, today by uh, JMU men's basketball coach Mark Byington. Um, it started with... With a question, I believe, from you, Shane, about you know some of the foul calls and, and some ways that his bigs could be more effective, um, and it ended up ultimately leading to some comments about you know being treated unfairly by the CAA and and, and some some thoughts that he had on that situation. So, uh, um, Shane, kind of tell us a little bit about what um, Coach told us today. Yeah, I think um, we saw some just frustration begin to boil over and uh, get a little unfiltered. Mark Byington at the uh, press conference today. It was. It, it, it was interesting. Not he's still very, you know, pretty level-headed about it, but definitely pretty honest in his answers about how he's feeling right now when it comes to uh, dealing with things be, beyond all the injuries and everything else that they're having to deal with. Uh, you guys, we'll start from the beginning. I asked him. Um, well, I thought it was a fairly diplomatic way to uh, ask it. I asked him about you know if there was a way his bigs could get to the free throw line more often because the last couple of games they have gotten there uh, re- remarkably few times. There, there's two free throws shot between um, their three big men, Julian Wooden, Alonzo Sule, and uh, Justin Amati, uh, the entire game last night, Monday night, at Drexel. Uh, so I asked him if there's just you know, a way that those guys could do a better job of getting to the free throw line. And, and his, his response was you know, basically, they're getting fouled, they're just not getting called. Which um, you know kind of led to um, some more discussion of that. Uh, he, he'd also mentioned already at that point that you know it's been tough on his team seeing uh, the national television games that they were supposed to be playing on national TV. Those were pulled from JMU. Obviously, they're not going to play in the conference tournament. All, all the things kind of piling up there. Um, he he kind of relayed the uh, growing frustration and. Uh, the difficulty, I guess, in kind of keeping everybody together at this point with all this going on. And later on, TJ Eck from uh, TV3, he, he, he followed up on that, asked him a little bit more. And, you know, Byington was pretty 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 candid that he, you know, thinks they have not been treated fairly or well by the conference at this point in the season. And, um, you know, they're, they're, they're frustrated with the calls. They're frustrated with uh, everything going on off the court. And... Um, frustrated with losing more games than they anticipated losing this season, and uh, it's kind of it's kind of you know interesting that he's speaking so freely at this point. I guess he doesn't have a whole lot to worry about when it comes to uh, repercussions at this point, too. I said, do you feel like it? I mean, w- when the decision was made by the CAA to keep them out of the postseason, um, and not just men's basketball, all sports, it was in the, it was at the end of the fall, and it kind of happened so quickly. You know, volleyball and all those seasons came to an end, and and you know then we we moved on. But now, I mean, we're, you're really seeing it kind of, you know, really impact these teams where, you know, a team like the women's team, you know, where they're sitting third, fourth in the standings, and if there's a CAA tournament, you know, they're, they're certainly in the running there to make a run. I mean, how much are we maybe going to see this, especially, you know, throughout the rest of this season and even into the spring sports where, you know, you really see kind of see that frustration because it's really taken away a, a, a possible, you know, deeper run for a lot of these teams that are meaning to go continue to play these games. Yeah, it's something that's, Definitely not going to go away. You mentioned you mentioned the women's team. They're sitting in third place, I think it is right now in the uh, conference. But they still got Drexel twice. They've got another game with Towson. They they kind of control their own destiny as far as you know 
getting what would have been a number one seed in that tournament, um, you know, th- those are going to be ch- that's going to be a huge challenge for them. They're going to have to play better than they have so far this season to win all those games. But they're that's a team that's still definitely in the mix and uh, would have a lot to play for if if we were looking at the uh, CAA tournament. But they're not. Um, so it's something that just you know the whole issue isn't going to die down until you know May at the earliest at this point you know you look at you know the softball team um you know at this point maybe they're gonna you know have the reputation after making the college world series last year but they don't have um you know quite the same kind of schedule they've had in the past I mean they have a challenging schedule if they do well they're gonna you know be an at-large team but they're also going to be very young to start the season and they're in a different situation than some Power Five conference teams, where it's similar to Gonzaga basketball, where they've got to win those games early in the season, even if they're a young team, to build their resume. Then, because they're not building their resume during the conference play, and um, so you know, if they take some lumps early in the season, then what happens to them without uh, without that automatic bid? It's going to be interesting to see how that goes. And a team of that profile that was a national story just a few months ago. If they're in that situation, once again, the, the, the whole issue doesn't die down. Yeah, yeah you're absolutely right. Um, you know, moving on from the CA talk, uh, we'll try to touch on on some of the issues with the men's team recently. I mean, um, you know, we, they've had a, a lot of injuries, a lot of other things. We, they obviously had the COVID pause that, that put them out for nearly a month. Um, Terrell Strickland and, and Takal Molson, um, both out for the year. Um, you know, they, they've been in a little bit of a rough stretch here. So, um, first, I guess, start with the injuries. I mean, how big are those two losses for, for JMU? They're they're big because, you know, Molson is a guy who did a little bit of everything for JMU. He was a great rebounder as a guard. He, he was scoring points. Uh, he's one of their best on-ball defenders. And, you know, you put Molson and Strickland together, you're taking away two of the guys who really set the tone for your defense early in the season that they had so much success with. They were just really putting a ton of pressure on the ball, and those are two guys who would do that for you. Um, so missing them really, really, really takes a toll. And then you take out, you know, they play games without, you know, Chuck Falden last night. They played several games without Tyree Nacho. Those are guys who would step up in that way a little bit um, with those guys out. And, you know, they just really haven't, they really haven't had their whole team they expected to have all season because even if you go back to uh you know december when they were playing 10 guys for a few games which is what they were expecting was to have a 10-man rotation we didn't realize that um bottom morris was playing with a broken hand at that point everybody's kind of like well he's not scoring like he used to (laughs) he comes back from you know christmas his hands healed and he's scoring 20 points a game since then so they, they just really haven't had the whole lineup that they expected to have which i think that's where you know, you start to see the other frustration is because they know this team can be a lot better than they are. Um, you know, they're kind of slipping down the CAA standings at this point. Um, but you look at the number of close games they've played. You, you got you got to imagine that a fully healthy JMU would be you know nine and two in the CAA at worst at this point. Just yeah, you know, I, just you look at the number of close games they've lost. Yeah, I mean overtime games, everything else. Like it, it's hard to imagine them not being, you know very close to the top of the standings if not at the top of the standings if they had a full roster i was gonna say it kind of feels like i mean how big of a missed opportunity has this year been just in general i mean not only you know you have the caa stuff where they weren't going to be eligible for the tournament and stuff but i mean 
you know, coming into the year, like you said, I think a lot of people thought that this was a team that was probably the favorite or one of the favorites to compete for that CAA title again. And um, really kind of build off last year, I think, you know, the excitement had been built around the program. Um, and, and to see them kind of take a step back, which obviously, like you said, there's been a lot of injuries and things like that. But, I mean, how much of a, you know, just kind of a missed season is this, you know, long term, just looking at it. I mean, I'm sure Byington, those guys are probably kind of kicking themselves over this this season in general. Yeah, I mean, you look at it, um, you look at their 9-2 and two start. They beat a team that just won a Cameron Indoor Stadium last night. And uh, one of their two losses is to... The Cameron Crazies made sure to remind them about that, too. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. One of the two losses is to a really good Murray State team that's ranked right now. And JMU led that game by double figures at one point and, you know, didn't didn't finish well at all. But, um, you you know, that was... You you look at the full resume, you know, you get a bigger picture of where college basketball is right now, and you got to think that team that was playing so well early in the season could have done some real damage just you look at where everybody stands you know it would have been a challenge to ever have the at-large resume but you know like I said they were 9-2 at that point it's hard to imagine a full roster of JMU not being at least 9-2 in the CAA right now when you look at the close games they've lost you know if you're talking about a team that's 18-4 and right now and you know one of their losses is to a really good Murray State team you got a UVA team that's getting better in the ACC that you've beaten. You know, it's not out of the question that they could be talking about that right now. Um, had things gone a little bit better as far as you know, just luck and injuries. Yeah, I just wanted to touch on the women real quick before we move on from basketball. Um, you know, they've been kind of a, a hard team to figure out because it seems like they'll, they'll get some momentum and then they'll they'll have a, a frustrating loss. But they seem to kind of take care of business as of late against the teams they're supposed to, and then they've had. Um, some losses against some of the more quality teams. I mean, how do you view them? We talked about how they kind of control their destiny and they're still in the running, but, you know, where do they kind of stack up? I mean, are, are they a, a – do you consider them one of those upper-tier teams in the CA, or are they kind of just the middle of the pack? We, we, you know, it's been, a, it's been a weird season for them. Yeah, I mean, I think right now you kind of have to look at them as right where they are, you know, third or fourth in the CAA. Um, They've got something to prove when it comes to uh, you know playing a team as good as Drexel. Uh, they lost on the road at Towson. Uh, kind of have to feel like they let that one get away a little bit, but they've got to win those games to you know prove they belong in the in the conversation as one of the best teams in the CAA. And they have an opportunity to do that, but they also have to play a little bit better than they have. You know they can get away with you know a slow start at William and Mary. They they won't be able to get away with that against you know some of the teams that are left on the schedule. Um, but it's just the the perspective of the women's team. You know, you look at their record, eleven and ten right now. You know, they could have played an easier non-conference schedule and you know be looking, you know, be you know fifteen and six or whatever it is, and you know maybe maybe feel better about you know just the way it looks on paper. But I don't know if that like you know really changes the uh, outlook of this team. They're still uh, dealing with a lot of injuries and. They're just, you know, not not the dominant team in the CAA that they were a couple of years ago. Right, right. Well, moving on, uh, we'll touch on some spring sports now. Um, you know, it, it's coming up actually in about a week and a half. Uh, baseball opens its season at Florida State, um, a top 25 program down there, downtown Tallahassee. Um, Noah, I know you just talked to uh, members of the baseball team and, and Coach Marlon Eikenberry this week, um, and I know one of the most – you know, one of the more intriguing storylines out of everything has been uh, the two-pitcher approach that he's he's planning on going with this year with basically having two starters for each game and, 
and, and rotating those guys out. But um, tell us a little bit about, you know, that approach and just a little bit about, you know, what, what we can expect from this year's uh, Jamie baseball team. Yeah, he's taking this new approach where they're going to have two starting pitchers, kind of as he's calling it. So he's going to tell these two pitchers, you're the ones that are going to start the game in air quotes. You have your normal starter who comes out and throws the first inning. And he's going to go through the order twice. And then the other guy that was told he's going to pitch today then will take it and go through the order twice. And then they'll throw it to the bullpen for the rest of the game. So it's kind of a different way to approach it rather than letting your starter go three times through the order because he said most of the time your starter won't make it all the way through three times before the other team starts to either keep going or something like that. So he's he's taking this approach for, for that reason, but also it's the first time that JMU baseball has played a 56-game schedule in, in two years. So... He's trying to keep the arms fresh, so if you do this, you limit the amount of pitchers they're throwing, and, and your pitchers will be more effective. And he's taking this approach also because midweek games are now going to be more important for JMU than they were in the past. I mean, every game kind of is going to be like what Mark Byington in basketball called a non-conference game because they can't win the tournament. So to get into the NCAA tournament, they're going to have to probably win 40 games, and so every game matters, and they, they've got a tough start at Florida State. Um, next weekend but the team sounds really excited to kind of get in that atmosphere of the ACC early on and kind of giving them a litmus test and tell them really where they're at. I was going to say Shane you were around last year for all the um, the conversations around Marlon Eikenberry and his job status I mean I know that program hasn't really taken off quite the way that they, they maybe wanted it to by now but um, you know they've had some good recruiting classes they've had some you know strong local kids come in you know Bryce Sears of Broadway Ryan Cook of Fort Defiance are both there obviously Justin Showalter's been there for a couple years now from TA. Um, you know, obviously Chase DeLotter is is the big name for them. I mean, they've they've obviously got some talented pieces. I mean, is this a make or break year for for Eikenberry over there? I would kind of think so. I I kind of feel like you know he's almost getting this opportunity this year because he hasn't had the opportunity to play a full season to really you know play a normal season with the level of talent that he has. Um, you look at you know last year. They, they they did okay, but you know you're talking about you can't really you got you got talent the the level of Chase Delauder you don't get to really take advantage of it in 20 games or whatever it was they ended up playing and you know having to do you know multiple pauses and stuff that was related to their program stuff that was related to other programs um, they they never really got a chance to get any kind of momentum and I know you know the the diehard baseball fans of JMU um, probably we're ready to see a change you know if we're, if we're being honest about it but you know you give him you give him this opportunity this year to do what he can do with a, a full roster a full season and you know see see how competitive they are in the CAA before they make the jump to the Sun Belt because the Sun Belt's going to be a more challenging conference for JMU and you know they've got they got some talent right now they got to you know keep talent coming into this program maybe, maybe making the conference move will help uh, with recruiting and things like that so um, but bottom line is you got you got to show this year that you can win. Yeah, and then we we touched a little bit on softball earlier, but um, I wanted to now get, move on to lacrosse. I mean, uh, you know, they're the one of the more obviously up there with softball as well as one of the more um, you know prominent programs, more well known programs for JMU. And um, they recently announced you know their new conference, the American um, Athletic Conference, and. Uh, we're waiting on some other sports, but for lacrosse, I mean, you guys were both there last week for Media Day. Um, you know, what can you tell me about that program and kind of their expectation this year? Because I would imagine, you know, we were talking about the, how the CAA decision impacts a lot of those sports, but I would imagine that's one one sport that might be shaped up to kind of deal with this the best, you know, this spring. 
Yeah, talking to some of the players, they kind of said that they were they were bummed when the CAA news came out in the fall, but then they realized like their goals are bigger than winning a CAA tournament, and, and their goals are making the NCAA tournament, making a run there. So it doesn't really change. I really don't think it changed the mindset of that team too much. They've got a really tough non-conference schedule ahead of them that will kind of help them build a resume to earn one of the at-large bids. But, I mean, they seem like they're ready to go, and, and definitely when you have to host number two North Carolina to start off your season, it kind of sets you up in that direction. I was going to say, nationally, I mean, I know they've been in some top 25 polls, but, I mean, is this still a program that, that has the potential to compete for a national championship this year? I think so. I think um, you know, they were they were kind of upset with where they got seeded for the NCAA tournament last year because they ended up meeting North Carolina in the second round um, at UNC. I think they kind of felt like they were probably, you know, a top 10 national quarterfinal-type level team, maybe, if they don't get on that side of the bracket. Um so they've got a lot of talent coming back. Uh, you know, you look at like somebody like Isabel Peterson, who was just on fire at the end of last season. As, you know, a young attacker. Um, they they should be able to score more goals this season. I would think uh, they kind of been carried by their defense the last couple of years. Um, they they should be you know more um, of the offensive caliber. Maybe we saw in 2018 when they made it all the way to the national championship. Um, just you know with more experienced attackers. And you know, Shelley was talking today about. Uh, you know, a really deep midfield that maybe maybe they end up moving some of those players around a little bit because they have so many players in the midfield that can, you know, make plays on both both ends of the field. So, <clears throat> I I think it's going to be a, a, a talented team. Um, you, you're starting to see some of the uh, the players who were the the recruiting windfall from winning the national championship in 2018. You're only now kind of starting to see some of those players get to where they're um, upperclassmen. Um, and have played and got some experience. And so, you know, I, I think it should be, you know, kind of a – it should be probably a, a better season for JMU, um, in, even if they don't uh, win on Saturday against, you know, a really, really good UNC team. I think they should get to a little faster start to the season than they did last year. They ended up kind of coming on strong late in um, conference play. I was, and I would imagine the American Athletic Conference is pumped to be bringing in a program of that caliber. I mean, uh, you know, I'm I'm not, you know, familiar with the caliber of the rest of that league, but I, I would imagine JMU is is a huge addition for them in terms of lacrosse. Yeah, um, you know, JMU bringing a national championship to that conference is you know a big deal. Um, it, it's solid. It's a solid uh, lacrosse league, but it's um, <clears throat> kind of you know pieced together with SEC teams and. Uh, other conferences that don't sponsor lacrosse like the Sun Belt, um, so it's interesting. But it also kind of it opens up. Like I was mentioning, they you know kind of saw the recruiting windfall of winning a national championship, and um, players in lacrosse commit so early. Sometimes they commit when they're sophomores in high school. That you know it's you know four or five years later, and now you're starting to see those players you know <laughs> actually on the roster um, and playing. One thing is that. That national championship kind of opened up some areas in the Midwest. They were started recruiting some uh, Minnesota and some areas like that pretty heavily, where the game is growing a lot. Um, getting outside of you know the Northern Virginia, Maryland, Long Island kind of you know traditional hotbeds. Now they're going to be playing some other places where the game is growing a lot. Uh, Florida, namely, uh, you know there's a couple Florida schools in the American. So you know that might uh, open up some uh, new new avenues for them as far as, you know, recruiting talent down south and, you know, maybe, maybe uh, you know, looking at going to a school in the middle of Virginia is like a little more, uh, a little more enticing for somebody from Florida than, you know, looking at 
heading all the way up to New York where a lot of the uh, traditional powers are. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll obviously find out, you know, just how good that team is uh, in the opener. Like like Noah mentioned, uh, against number two, I believe, uh, UNC um, at Centera Park. So that'll be that'll be a big-time match. I'm sure will be quite the atmosphere there. Uh, I guess one last thing we could touch on um, before we get off here. Uh, Noah had a story um, this week uh, in Tuesday's paper on just kind of the history of JMU football and just what it brings Um you know, to the FBS level next year, and uh, he he spoke to one of our favorite interviews here at the DNR with Mickey Matthews, uh, former Jamie coach who led them to the 2004 national championship, as well as Mike Houston who led them to the 2016 title. Um, Ethan Ratke and Mike Green and some other guys were in that in that um, story as well. It's a really good story on DNRonline.com. But um, yeah, no, I mean, what did you learn maybe from that from that conversation with some of those guys, and just in terms of the kind of the growth of Jamie football over the past decade or two? I mean, you know, Mickey Matthews can, is definitely a, a treat to talk to, and he, he kind of took me through the entire time and how James wasn't really what it is now when he took the job, and he kind of got it going in the right direction, and then later on, Mike Houston came and, and won the national title in his first year, and now Chris Ignetti is doing, pretty much picked up from where Mike Houston left off, but it's definitely interesting. Um, one thing that Mickey said in the interview that I didn't even use was he thinks that JMU football could end up in the ACC in the next 10 years if everything goes according to plan but I don't know what his plan is but he, he said that he doesn't think that, that that's out of the question but definitely think that these former people I talked to especially Mike Houston who made this jump to the FBS granted it was with a different program and as he put it a program that wasn't in the best of shape but he said JMU is kind of ready for it and, and that he expects them to do well in the first year and that's not what you can say about a lot of programs that make this move and so JMU's culture is what I really will try to touch on and and just the the no excuses and they they expect to win and they expect to make it run the national title and i think they'll expect to win next year and obviously they can't play in a bowl game or win a sunbelt title next year but i definitely think they can position themselves well for the first year when they can do both of those things if they can have just a solid year and, and get it rolling yeah i ran into mickey as well over the weekend at um the region 3c wrestling high school tournament down in fishersville is his grandson jackson wells uh, won the 160-pound division for, for Broadway High School, and Mickey was there cheering him on, and he was fired up. And so he still makes his way around here locally still at times, and um, I think he still follows Jamie pretty regularly. He, he spoke to me about some of our coverage here at the DNR. and Oh, yeah, he said he reads the DNR daily in Myrtle Beach. So, so yeah, he's a, he's a big fan. So uh, we're, we're glad to hear that Mickey's still keeping track, and I know Jamie fans are very appreciative of his time here. Um, but... I think that's it for this week. Uh, you know, we we've got some another busy couple of days coming up with basketball, but then um, next week it's hard to believe we'll be starting spring sports uh, towards the end of next week. So um, next week's pod will probably dive into some some more detailed previews with both baseball and softball. Maybe touch on lacrosse some more and some other sports. But um, tennis recently got started, and uh, we're in full swing. So hopefully with spring sports starting, the weather will get better. But um, we're, we're quickly moving along here. So uh, for Shane Metlin and Noah Fleischman, I am Cody Elliott, and that's it for this week.